I'm going to preach on the good news today why you ought to have your mouth engaged in sharing good news. Few people ever get saved through silent witnessing. They can watch your life from now to noonsday and not get saved. Some of them may never want to go to church watching your life. Some may want to go, but watching our life isn't the gospel. The gospel is a marvelous message. So let's turn to Isaiah 53. And I'm not going to preach Isaiah. I'm using it as a launching pad uh, to show you the concepts of the cross. Now, last week I preached on the death of Christ. Anybody here? I think we went into detail. Uh, we could have had Mel Gibson here to show his film. Or we got the latest one, The Son of God. Uh, and those are terrific. Uh, did you know during the Easter season, if you'll visit Mexico, Philippines, Spain, Portugal, strong Brazil, strong Catholic countries, there will be many crucifixions going on all over the world. They will enact the crucifixion of Christ, and the pathos is gut-wrenching. Uh, I mean, uh, if anyone has perfected it, the Catholic Church has played, I mean, they're doing the stations of the cross, and the cross, the cross. Here's my concern. You could see the enactment of the crucifixion of Christ a hundred times and never know what it accomplished. Just a pathetic story. It is a pathetic story. A heartbreaking story of how a man innocently was killed. And so, that's one thing. But, do you know the message of the cross? Do you know the message of the death of Christ? And uh, Lewis Chaper said there's 14 things Christ accomplished. Prof, I had in school, said 22 things, and I think both are wrong. More things were accomplished by the cross than we'll ever know in this life. But I'm going to simply pick up five things, and it's going to be the helicopter view because I have a 20-week series. Okay? Rich Rollins used to tell me when I get through preaching, he said, I enjoyed the series. I know this. These five things, justification, how long could we preach on justification? Believe me, take Romans. Why do I love Romans? Justification by faith. Propitiation. Say that. I just want to see if you can say it. Propitiation. That's a, you just added a new word to your vocabulary. NIV translated atonement. Atonement is ambiguous. What was accomplished in the atonement? And this is propitiation. We're looking at redemption, reconciliation. We're going to look at five things. I'll read the prophet. Isaiah, and you try to look at as many things as you could see here that would say substitution, maybe propitiation that satisfies God, maybe redemption, reconciliation, maybe justification. Watch, a whole lot of it is expressed in this chapter. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that 
we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, Joseph of Arimathea, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Let me explain in brief ways these concepts, what our gospel is. I raised my children in Christian schools. I remember Bethel, and the gospel was Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day, and was seen of many witnesses. The thing about that, you haven't told the gospel yet. You've told the facts upon which the gospel is built. The gospel, the good news God brings to us, is built upon these historic facts. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Now that's loaded there because that's substitution. He was buried. He rose again. He was seen of many witnesses. But you haven't told anybody what it gives you. What did it do? What did it accomplish? Four things to keep in mind. We deserve to die 
as the penalty for sin. He that sinneth shall die. So we deserve death as a penalty. Two, we deserve to bear God's wrath against our sin. Three, we are separated from God by our sins. Fourth, we are in bondage to sin and to the kingdom of Satan. How can these conditions be remedied? And so we come to the cross, and the first thing we come to, and Isaiah says it over and over, Jesus Christ died as our substitute. As our, the gospel is the good news that God was willing to bear our punishment. The Greeks had two words, hyper and anti. One, the who pairs would be translated, would be he dies for the benefit of those he dies for. But many places it's used in the sense of another preposition, anti. He dies instead of us. Antichrist is a person instead of Christ. So the gospel is Christ died instead of us, in our stead, in our place. That God says things like this, I will die for sinners, just like Isaiah says, over and our transgression, our sin, our iniquity, our sorrow. He took all of this on himself. He suffered for our sin. Over and over, you have the substitution language. You, you see all the Old Testament sacrifices uh, that when you, you, it was enacted all the way from Exodus, all the Leviticus, let's confess our sin over this lamb, uh, a, a guilt offering, even a, a bullock. Uh, we confess our sins, and by acting out, we're transferring our guilt, and they were called guilt offerings, trespass offerings. And when this animal is killed, we know in picture it should have been me. We just transferred. I got a substitute. Now, according to Romans 3, God was never satisfied with that substitute ultimately. He said, that gives you 360 more days of grace. And it will be due in 360 days because the blood of bulls and goats can never solve the sin problem. I'm just letting you buy time. And that final payment, according to Romans, was to be met in the cross. God forbore, put up forbearance. He put up with in the past. He sustained payment. It's like the balloon payment is due. I, I've been giving you grace, but the whole picture is an animal in your place. Now, what happens at the cross, hear this. Divine love triumphs over divine wrath by divine sacrifice. Divine love, I love you, sinner. That won't get you to heaven until the wrath of God against your sin is satisfied. Well, I love you, but I'm going to be holy, so I've got to deal with your sin in order for my love to rescue, somebody's got to pay. So God said, the only payment I will accept is myself. And I will be in the sun dying. An artist drew a picture of Christ. 
And the picture was the nail going through his hand. But in the artist's conception, behind the hand of Jesus was the heart of God. And the nail went all the way through. God was in Christ reconciling the world. God was in Christ. This is my solution for your problem. The biblical gospel of atonement is of God satisfying himself by substituting himself for us. You could never satisfy God. Only God could satisfy God. Therefore, Christ died instead of you. This is our gospel. It's called penal substitution because penalty, sin brings penalty and liability. Guilt means you're liable to penalty. And what happened at the cross, God exacted the penalty for our sins on our substitute. Listen to this. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. He puts himself in the place of God. While the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. We wanted to be God, and we took the fruit, and we stepped in the place of God. God said, I'll take the place of the guilty man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself only where man deserves to be. Man claims prerogatives that belong to God alone. God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. This is substitution. It is the judge who in this passing scene takes the place of those who ought to be judged, who in this passing allows himself to be judged. The judge of all mankind says, I will take the judgment of God against mankind. God provided the only lamb that could satisfy his demands so that the cousin of Jesus says, behold the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is a substitutionary death for our penalty. Two, a word taken from the temples of all the ancient Near East, the word propitiation. I like to get people to say it because they don't even know what it means, so I'm here to tell you what it means. Propitiation was used in the temple worship of the pagans so that uh, many say that's a barbaric concept for God to say uh, he's angry, and he must be appeased. That's barbaric. That comes right out of paganism. Well, paganism did have the view that the gods were angry, always, and that they had to be placated. They had to be, you had to feed the gods. You, you were always uh, wooing, trying to temper them, because they, they stayed angry. My dad one time said my mother was the most even-tempered woman he'd ever met. We thought that was wonderful. He said she gets up mad, goes to bed mad. <laughs> I wasn't true. He's just being mean, but you know. Some days it was true. Um, but our God isn't a God that just emotionally says, I'm mad today. He's angry because he's been violated. His, his commandments have been broken. And he said death. The bad side of me will come 
if you don't do what I say. And God must keep his word, right? I was illustrating the first service, something that drives you batty is these parents, you better do what I say, boy, I'm going to spank you. And you know the parents lying. That kid hadn't been spanked for three years. <laughs> Quit lying. Quit lying. Quit lying. If you're not going to spank them and you're making arrangements for them at juvenile hall, tell them. If they won't obey you, then they can't obey anybody else, right? My dad was so tender. He said, you always bring a baby lion home from the hospital. Dad, this is your precious grandchild. It's a young lion cub. That doesn't seem tender, Grandfather. It's not. The little rebels from the womb. Can you imagine having him as a child dedicated? God bless this lion cub that will devour, scratch, and rebel. Spank him while you can. Well, let's leave that alone. Don't call CPS on me. Uh, but, but see, God doesn't say, if you do that, I'm going to do something. And they say, well, I was just kidding. I can't do that because I'm so loving. No, I'm so loving, I'm going to keep my word. And if you sin, I'm going to judge it. And then Jesus comes along, and Romans says, he came and he did what the law could not do, for he redeems us and he has propitiated God. In our sins, 1 John 2, 2, he's the propitiation for our sins and that of the world. The love of God was demonstrated, 1 John 4, 10, that he gave his son to be the propitiation. What does that mean? God is angry with our sin, and he's angry with sinners, and his wrath is being revealed from heaven. He says in John 3, 36, every unsaved man is living beneath the wrath of God. It hasn't settled down on you yet, or you'd be lost. But it's hovering over you. Romans 1:18, the wrath of God is being revealed from my anger about sin. I'll tell you an interesting Bible study you may want to try sometime. I grew up with this statement. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. Anybody hear that? Doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound, it, it just sounds, you almost write a, you know, a Hallmark card. Read Psalms 1 through 30. Just 1 through 30. And see how many times he says, I hate a murderer. I hate a blood guilty man. I hate pride. I hate those that lie. He not only says he hates the sin, but he hates those that do it. Well, who do you think you are, God, that you think you can hate somebody? Isn't it wrong to hate? Not if it's me. Well, wait, 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 wait. You said I was one time your enemy. You were? Well, are you angry with me? Not if you've accepted Christ, because Christ has borne the anger of God against your sin and now has been totally satisfied with the payment so that he now can say, I have no anger against you. Matter of fact, I've embraced you as my own. God has been satisfied with the death of his son in your place. This is propitiation. Then, then we go on, and that is the temple. We go to the uh, slave market, and we talk about redemption. Uh, that Jesus Christ came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The word ransom is related to several other Greek words. In Greek, the word for redemption 
Now, in the Old Testament, we've got redemption, and we've got the beautiful story of it in the book of Ruth that says to redeem someone, you had to be related to them, you had to be kin to them. Two, you had to have the means to buy them back. And three, you had to be willing. And the first kinsman redeemer was not willing to buy uh, Ruth. He wouldn't do it. He was in line. And when he told the elders, I don't want to buy her. I don't want her. Boaz steps up. He said, I'm kin. I've got the finance. And I love her. I'm willing to do it. The picture of Christ. He became my kinsman in the incarnation. He came with the power to buy, and he said, I'm willing to die. I will lay down my life a ransom. What God says in redemption, I can emancipate you from the slavery of sin by paying a price. It's something if you ever go to Charleston, South Carolina, we visited there. That's where the Civil War started, you know, on the harbor there. And the, the, the slave trade was big in uh, Charleston. And uh, the slaves coming in by way of Africa, Caribbean, the British were bringing them there. And there you saw African people sold, families broken up, dad sent here, mom sent there. Slaves bought that day and perhaps branded that your property, you belong to me. I paid a price to release you from the market, the sale. I bought a human being for 50 bucks. Oh, the atrocity of it. And it's the same picture that God said, I found you in the slavery of sin. I found you a slave to the devil. But my son paid the releasing price to get you out of the dominion of Satan and to bring you into the family of God. The famous, famous, I have a dream speech at Lincoln Memorial. The first five paragraphs are worth the whole speech. When you've got a preacher from the South, from Birmingham, saying, I'm here today. For 150 years ago, this country wrote a check that said I could go free. 150 years ago, they wrote an emancipation proclamation, but we still can't vote in Mississippi. We still can't run for public office without the Klan wanting to kill us. I'm here on the steps, Mr. Lincoln. I want to cast a check that's been 150 years overdue. I want to sign it today and see if a black man can vote in Mississippi. And what Jesus did at the cross he wrote the check, and when he walked out of the graveyard, he said, you can cash the check. It's good. It will set you free. It will set you free. You'll no longer be a slave of sin and the devil, for I not only write a check at the cross, you can cash it, and you receive it by faith, and when your signature goes on it, it's signed by Jesus Christ, and he just wait for your signature. I accept Philip Howard, and he redeems me. You see, redemption is beautiful. Have you ever thought of what, how much money your family would come up with if you were kidnapped? It's a little depressing. You might as well get ready for a long stay, honey. 
is why, why no one stole in my neighborhood in Richmond. There's nothing worth stealing. If they stole everything in the house, you wouldn't have $500 worth of goods. I mean, dynamite boxes and uh, all, I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous. We left the doors unlocked all the time. Help yourself. <laughs> Maybe you'll drop some change. You don't want to be a child of poor folks. They can't redeem you. It's only the rich that got to worry about kidnapping. When you're a poor boy on the south side of Richmond, don't help yourself, buddy. Somebody feed me. And God said, to make you a child of mine, I've got to pay a release price. For ransom means in the Greek, to release upon receipt of a payment. And so guess what? I can say, well, the old Negro spiritual, the quote king again, thank God Almighty, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free at last. Well, I can say this, ever since 1958, when I signed my part of the check, I said, I'm free, I'm free, thank God Almighty, I'm free. I'm free in Christ. He liberated me. He liberates all that he saves. Our gospel says somebody ransomed someone like you. He bought you. So I don't go around with a strut. I'm my own man. You are nobody's own man. Who do you, what do you mean? You wait till April 15th comes. Tell me you're your own man. You're going to pay this government what they say. Are you your own man? You're going to wind up in jail. I'm in charge. Was in charge of what? You're going to set the new PG&E rates? You're going to get the next man voted in? You ain't in charge of anything, honey. You're not in charge of either breathing. Because Acts 17 said everything that lives, moves, or gets its being, gets it from God. If God just said, cut off air supply, you're gone. Watch out. You might be gone in the service. Don't die on us. <laughs> He's in charge of everything. We've been redeemed. Any redeemed folks here? I'm redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Just think of the Passover. The blood of a lamb, an innocent lamb, paid for me to get out of Egypt. Doesn't it seem stupid? God said, I'm painting a picture of what I'm going to do at the cross. I'm going to slay another lamb, and it will get you out of sin. The great exodus. Then he goes on to say he's reconciled us. And the word reconciliation comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. And it's a family term. It's saying that when sin came, uh, we, the family was broken up. Look at this. God makes this couple, gives them a perfect home in Eden, perfect environment. She's beautiful. He's a perfect man, perfect woman, perfect environment. Satan comes in there, lies and deceives. Sin happens. They're kicked out of the garden. Uh, Cain kills his brother. Chaos breaks out in the home, and the whole human history starts going until by the time you get to chapter 6 of Genesis. Chapter 6, God says, it grieves me that I ever made man. I'm grieved with what they've become. My solution is kill them. I'll kill everyone but eight souls, knowing his family. I mean, we're only five chapters into our human history. Five chapters. God, couldn't you do it a little bit easier? I want to kill them. Every thought they have is evil. They think of nothing good. I want to wipe them out. 
And there's a guy named Noah whose name means favor or grace. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God, ever since Eden, has been trying to get people who became his rebels, his wayward creation, trying to get us back together. Nothing quite, uh, I think, is heartbreaking as family discord. Family discord. You, you talk to parents, uh, when's the last time you heard from your daughter? Don't hear from them anymore. What do you mean you don't hear from them? They left. Ran off with some boy. Maybe drugs. Maybe just, oh, oh we're fighting over a $100 debt. I, I think they owe me. They say they don't. And so we just split over it. I'll tell you something closer home that, that, that breaks my heart, but I can't help, can't remedy it. I got this little great-grandson that um, every so many days he's got to go to the father's place, and then we get him back, and he's over here with his grandmother, and grandpa, and us. He's back and forth, because we got to share him with everybody, you know, because just because mom and daddy don't like each other anymore, the boy's got to go here, got to go there. And ideally, God said, he ought to have been able to grow up with both of them in the same house. Shouldn't he? Shouldn't he? Divorce is what sin is. It divorces you from God. And you need a mediator to broker a deal where the offended God could want a relationship with you again. Because we're the rebels. We broke the rules. We put our fist in his face. And us, I don't need God. I've learned to live without God. I've been running without God. I just need some, a good party over the weekend. Maybe I can blow my mind and make it another week. No, 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 no. You and I need to come back. But how do you get back to someone you've offended so much? Would he ever want me? God, would you ever want this rebel again? And at the cross... The Lord Jesus became the mediator between God and man, and he says, I can bring the two together again, and they'll be reconciled. And according to Romans, God was in Christ reconciling the world that hated him to himself. I had to go to a, see a movie when I was doing my doctorate, Howie Hendricks assigned it. It was called The Chosen, a Jewish film about the liberal Jew versus the Zionist and all that conflict of going back to the land. But I will never forget the last, the last line that was put across the bottom of the screen. The last line went this way. Jewish legend tells of a father and son who were estranged from one another. And the son writes his dad and says, I would love to come home. I would like to see you again before you die. And his father wrote back these words, you come as far as you can, and I'll come the rest of the way. Reminds me of Ted Montoya. 
went through one drug rehab program after another, wound up in Washington, wound up getting with a bunch of radical Pentecostals and got saved in a trailer house up there. He wrote to Ed Montoya, his father, said, Dad, I'd like to come see you, but I have no money. I'm broke. If I spend all the money I've got, I get a bus ticket that can get me to Medford. Ed said, you get to Medford, and your old daddy will go the rest of the way. And Ed told me he was going to get his boy when we were in that dumpy theater. And he drove up there. He said, son, I would have drove all the way to Canada if I could have got you back. Well, I want to tell you how far God was willing to get you. He went as far as an old rugged cross outside of Jerusalem. He's trying to get you back. You are his by creation. He wants you to be his by redemption. He wants you to be in the family, in the embrace. We're reconciled to God through the death of Christ. That's why we need to preach the gospel. Oh, sinner, come home. Come home. Be reconciled to God. Finally, he said in Isaiah, he will justify many. It's the theme of Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. It's the theme of Galatians. It's the theme of Luke 18. Which man went home justified? The self-righteous public, the self-righteous Pharisee, or the publican who beat his breast and he said, Oh, be merciful to me, O God. I'm not worthy to look up at you in the temple. And Jesus said, This man went home justified. What is justification? It's a courtroom scene that says this. The only way you could ever be right in the court of divine justice is through the cross of Christ. For the cross of Christ did two things. It justified God in justifying you. You see, uh, God can't just get you to heaven because he likes you. God has to get you to heaven and not violate his holy character. What, what you gonna do about their sin, God? He said, my son will pay a redemption price, will propitiate, and my son will enable me to save the worst of sinners and not violate my character. I will be just in justifying the ungodly. You remember what he said in Romans 4? Abraham, you were not justified because you were righteous. For this is the God who justifies the ungodly. For if he was justified because of good works, he has something to boast about. But he has no boast. He has no boast for his justification as a gift. God wants to declare the hell-deserving sinner in a moment, declared right in the court of heaven. Declared that without doing any good works, without having lived out the Christian, in a moment, in a moment, the moment faith receives the gift of a crucified Christ. The moment faith receives a risen Christ, God says, I declare your right in the court of heaven. I'll see you in heaven eventually. For we've been justified by the blood of Christ. He has become my righteousness without me doing anything righteous. I am as saved the day I believe as 55 years where I've grown in grace, I've grown in holiness, I've grown in saying, but I was justified in 1958 on 15th and cutting. 
The devil can't undo it. You can't undo it. I cannot. I've been declared right. And all liabilities against God were removed by my substitute on the cross. He removed them all. Now, I've just told you in five sweeping words, this is our gospel. This is what you want to say after he died, buried, rose again. Okay, what did it secure? What did it accomplish? Did you know I've been redeemed? Did you know I've been reconciled? Did you know the Father's been propitiated? Did you know I've been justified? Did you know that God substituted himself in my place and took my whipping? One of the moving stories in our family is my brother Paul had a boy that was always uh, struggling at school, not doing his work. But Marty uh, was a, a big boy, kept growing, and, and got as tall as his dad. And he's going to uh, Panola High, but bringing home bad report cards. And our family comes from a long line of disciplinarian. Somebody's got to pay for these bad grades. He would spank him. But he finally gets, you know, ninth, tenth grade, not sure, gets to be six feet tall, whatever. It just didn't look real good, you know. And, uh, but Paul would do the spanking and got another report card, another F, whatever. And uh, finally, Paul told the boy, they went in the bedroom, that's where the spankings are administered. And he said to the boys, he takes off his belt, here, son. You take the belt, I'll lay on the bed, and punish me with as many stripes as I'd give you. Somebody's got to pay for these grades. Somebody's got to pay for these bad grades. How many, how many hits do you think he put on my brother? The boy stood and wept. The boy never got another F. It broke his heart. I can't whip my own dad. But God whipped Jesus in my place. I was doing all the F report cards. But another has bore my punishment. I'm going to heaven not because I'm a preacher. That might keep you out. I, I'm not going to heaven because I've lived perfect. You know, sometimes I find when I'm teaching men, I'll use hell and damn sometimes. Because I'm like Howard Hendricks. He said when he was at the seminary, he became the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. He said, every once in a while, I go visit the locker room to hear some hells and dams to remind myself of where I was before I met Jesus. It was hell, and it was damn, and I was getting all of it. But now, I'm breathing heavenly sunshine. I'm on my way. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. I'm reconciled. Oh, I wish somebody wanted to share it with a poor sinner. Come home. The debt's been paid. God's standing to embrace you. He'll meet you at the cross. He'll meet you at the cross. Why don't you come? What keeps you from believing? Why will you turn away this kind of love? You come as far as you can. Depravity means you can only crawl about five feet. But he emptied a throne came all the way to a manger, made his way over to Gethsemane. Then he just kept on going to Gabbatha. And from Gabbatha, he went on to Golgotha. And from Golgotha, he went into a borrowed grave from Joseph of Arimathea. And right now, he's up there saying, come on, I really paid it. I want you. I want you. 
I want you. Come. Come. Father, who's here today that's never received this good news, never received Jesus, the one that made all this true, that we're justified by faith in his cross work. We're reconciled because you made him to be our sin and you made us to be your righteousness. We, we've been redeemed, Lord. No longer are we slaves of sin or owned by the powers of the air. We're free. We're free. We're free. Thank God Almighty we're free at last. Not just socially, but eternally. Oh, the cross. Maybe someone's here today that's never received you. I can't talk them into it, Lord. Only you can. Only you can rent the veil and make them get their glimpse of Jesus. Maybe there's a believer here in sin today that thinks they're guilty. They don't know how to get back. Tell them the way back has been paved and you're standing in the road waiting. You want fellowship with them. You want to welcome them back. Father, Thanks so much for the cross. Thank you for the gospel. And can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me, die for me who caused his pain and him to death pursued? And can it be that thou, my God, would you die, would die for me, can it?